most kingdoms and nations do everything they can to protect their king or their leader. I mean, that is the goal of the game of chess that we created, to protect the king at all cost. All the pawns and all the other pieces must be willing to sacrifice to save the king. During the Allied invasion on Normandy on D-Day in June 6, 1944, uh, Winston Churchill wanted to join the forces in the invasion, but General Eisenhower was so worried and desperate to stop him, he appealed to the king, King George, and said, listen, you can't, you can't have Eisenhower do this. So King George agreed, and King George told Eisenhower, said, listen, if it's the prime minister's job to be in the invasion, so it must be with the king's job to be the invasion. And Churchill knew reluctantly that he had to protect the king, and so he refused to be in the invasion. King Jesus does the exact opposite. King Jesus freely offers his own life to be sacrificed. King Jesus on the cross offers a king's ransom, the king's life, for the life of everyone else, his beloved pawns. Those crowns of thorns meant to mock his royal claims actually proclaim his dignity and his kingly sacrifice. The victory in the cosmic chest between the dominion of sin and the kingdom of God doesn't happen because the rightful king of the universe demands the sacrifice of his servants, but because the king himself of the universe sacrificed himself for his creation. It is a move that not even the greatest chess masters could ever predict. Are you willing, or what are you willing to do to glorify God? What are you willing to do to glorify the king? Let's turn to John 12, verses 27 through 36, and break it down a little bit. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is a scene that is familiar to us, and it's, it's similar to the, in the other gospels to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, uh, his, his soul is troubled. Uh, uh, another way of, it could be aggravated or even revolts or horrified. Jesus is horrified in what God the Father is asking him to do, what, what is about to happen to him. He knows what the plan is, and he's horrified. The, the horror of this gruesome death is upon him. It is the hour, and the circumstances are brutal for him to know that this is what you have to do, to go through all that humiliation, all that sacrifice. But notice how Jesus prays. Jesus doesn't outwardly pray, Father, save me from this circumstance. I know that's a prayer that we often pray. Father, save me from this circumstance. This is not the prayer of Jesus. He knows what needs to be done. And he prays, Father, glorify 
your name. You could add in, in this circumstance, in this moment. It's similar to this Garden of Gethsemane where he says, right, not my will, Father, but your will be done. I want you to understand, this is the essence of a gospel prayer. No matter what circumstance the Lord is in, it's not my will, but the Father's will. Father, glorify your name. This is actually how Jesus taught us to pray. You remember, you can think back to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Pray then like this, our Father and in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, many of us probably think of that and we hear hallowed as an adjective. Like, Father, your name is glorious. That is not the grammar of that sentence. It's actually a verb. The prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray is ask the Father to glorify his name on in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. It is a verb there. This is what we are to ask the Father to do in all circumstance. Lord, will you glorify your name here, right now, in this moment? This is what he teaches us to pray. This is what he prays right now in his horrific moment. Glorify your name. This is the gospel. I want you to understand. You and I do not glorify God's name. How can you and I, which are unglorious by our very nature, or unholy by our very nature, can give any glory to God? This is absurd. God is glorious by his very character and his nature. We are not because of sin. We can never give God glory. God glorifies himself. In fact, that actually is part of the salvation that he gives us, is that he actually will glorify us. So it was a trick question at the beginning. What are you willing to do to glorify God? Because there's nothing you can do to glorify God. The question should be, are you willing to allow God to get all the glory in your life? Are you willing to let God act in your life? Are you willing to ask God to act in your life? He is the one that saves you. He is the one that changes heart. He is the one that fights the battle for you. God does all the glorious things and receives all the glorious things. Another way we can think about this is that, you know, we talk about the ends never justify the means. So there's means and then there's an end. I want you to think about this. If somehow the means of our life is our glorious acts, as if there could be any, but if they were, what would the end be of that? It would be our glory, wouldn't it? But this is not how God says it. The whole glory of, of our life is God's glorious act in our life. He is the main. And so the end is God's glory. You, you see, the thing is, this is why God sets it up this way. Because if, if it was, if we had any glorious act in ourselves, which we do not, so if it is our means, what is the end? A very unholy, broken, sinful end. There is no glorious thing. It is God's means, and it's his end, or it will be our end. Are you willing to let God be God and show you his righteousness and show you his gloriousness? 
or do you think it needs to be you? Because the bottom line, if you think it needs to be you, or you think you have any part, that is idol worship. That is idol worship. Making yourself into something that you think is glorious. John 5, says this way, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus says, how can you actually believe and trust in God if you are receiving any glory, any recognition, any credit from other people? Because in that point, you're making to yourself a God. He says, you can't actually believe. You can't actually trust God. You can actually trust his glorious way. In John 12, 43, for, the lo- for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, all of us love praise, don't we? Yes. We, we love praise. We seek it out. And, and it's, look, we ought to praise one another. We ought to encourage each other in that way. But if you find yourself that you are dependent upon that praise, that somehow your identity is connected to that praise, all that is pointing out is that you're like the rest of us. You are broken and sinful. God needs to do a work in you. It's God's glory in us. Jesus states it clearly that his purpose, his purpose is to ask the Father to glorify his name. And the answer is the Father is going to glorify the Father's name through Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, by his death and resurrection the most glorious thing that God does to reveal his glory is through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. In John 8, 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me on whom you, whom you say he is our God. So his whole life, he's always deferring to the Father. Part of that is not because Jesus himself is not glorious. He knows he's glorious. He's God. He's modeling for us what we ought to do. Give glory to God and to God alone. Practically, what is Jesus teaching us to do in our prayer? Jesus teaches us to pray. And how does he teach us to pray? Primarily to ask, Father, glorify your name. He models this prayer throughout his life and in this moment. And he doesn't say, he says, not in his best circumstances, but even in his worst circumstance. He doesn't ask his circumstance to be changed. He says, in this moment, glorify your name. I just want you to think about this. If you, if your first thing is, God, change my circumstance. And listen, I I think that's legit. You know, we're broken people. And God's not going to say, hey, that's a terrible prayer. You can't say that to me. God knows our circumstances are tough. But if your primary goal is to to change your circumstances, then you've missed the boat. Because what if you said, in your worst circumstance, Father, show me your glory in this moment. I tell you what, when God shows his glory in the worst moments of your life, it's much easier to see and appreciate it than when you're in your best moments in your life. And so when you're not willing to pray that, what you're asking God is, I really don't care about your glory at this moment. What I care about is my circumstance. Start 
in every moment of your life. Father, glorify yourself in this moment, in the most horrific circumstances in my life. Paul, Paul who endured imprisonment, you know, not as bad as Jesus, but was shipwrecked, uh, but was beaten, among many other things in his life. He doesn't pray for his circumstances to be changed. Paul is always concerned for the condition of his heart and the heart of others. That's always the first place he goes. It's not, hey, change their circumstance or change my circumstance. He says, Lord, can you change their heart? Can you change my heart? Listen in Philippians 4. The Lord is at hand. I like that. The Lord is present. It's now. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the context of all this, this is the, this is the place where, where Paul is saying, be content. Be content in your circumstances and pray. And what is the prayer? Guard your hearts and minds. God, guard their hearts and minds. Let them find the shalom, the peace that does not make any sense in this moment. Frederick uh, Beekner, a Presbyterian minister in the early 19th, uh, 20th century, said this, the trouble with stealing yourself, stealing like in metal, make hard, harden, yourself against the harshness of reality is the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed, secures your life also against being opened up and transformed by the holy power that life itself comes from. If you think about it, right? So we've become so hardened to the, the circumstances and the moment around it and the people around us that we actually become so hardened that we don't let God to come penetrate into our lives. That's the point about those circumstances in the hard moment. When we ask God in the worst moments, glorify your name. Change my heart in this moment. Do something in me. Instead of hardening yourself to the world and around you. After this prayer that Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. What's the first thing that happens? A voice from heaven comes. And this is the third time in Scripture that we hear in the Gospels that a voice from heaven comes that speaks, right? The, the first time is at Jesus' baptism. The, the second time is at the transfiguration on the mountaintop. And here, when he says, the first thing he prays, Father, glorify your name. And what does the Father say? Open to where all can hear, I have glorified, and I will glorify it again. What a great answer. Praise be to God for that. I have glorified and I will glorify it again. I mean, do you believe that in your life, that God is going to glorify his name in your life, in your moment, in your family, in all your days? He says he will. He says he will. I have glorified. I, mean, I, I just want you to say, in this moment, the, the horrific moment that Jesus is about to go to the cross, this is the connection point. This is the crossroads of God's justice and his mercy and the, the horrors of the world and God's glorious action. This is the most glorious thing that God is going to do to reveal himself and who he is. It's his character being revealed at the cross. His glorious character. And in this moment, when God reveals his voice and speaks, we're told that not everyone can recognize the voice. 
Some recognize it as a voice, and they can't discern what it's saying. Some don't even recognize it as a voice, and they just say, ah, that's just a natural wonder. It's thunder. They don't hear it at all. There's a lot of spiritual blindness around Jesus, isn't there? And here's what I would say that spiritual blindness is in this moment. What does Jesus pray for? He prays for the glory of the Father. What is the fundamental problem of all sin? Is idolatry. Making something else God. Making yourself God. Spiritual blindness is self-glorification. You just think about in our lives how, do, how, we, how we blab about ourselves or, or the way we look of ourselves. When we do that, we spend all this time talking about ourselves or we're talking about how we look. When you do that, you can't see and you can't hear others. When you're talking about self, you cannot see and hear others. And mostly, you're unable to see or hear God. Our seeking our own glory doesn't allow us to see or hear the need of others. What does Jesus pray? Father, glorify your name. It's an immediate openness. I'm looking. I'm waiting. I'm watching. I'm listening. Show me. It is an openness. Jesus is saying, show me what you're going to do. Show me the need. This is, when, when we are talking about ourselves, when we are glorifying ourselves, this is the opposite of the way of the cross. The, the glory of the cross is that Jesus, the most glorious moment in the character, revealing of the character of God is actually a God that's willing to lay down his life for the needs of his people. For a broken condition of sin. Jesus seeks the Father's glory by seeking our need. It's this justification at the cross. He, Jesus, is glorified by the Father because of his obedience to the Father's will. You and I, you and I are glorified because of Jesus' obedience to the Father's will. I want to make very clear. You and I are not glorified because of our obedience to the Father's will. We are glorified because we are united with Christ. We are made holy with Christ. We are glorified with Christ because of his obedience. This is the imputation of his righteousness. This is the giving of his spirit to transform us into his character. Jesus at the cross is other obsessed. He's obsessed with the Father and he's obsessed with the people of God. And so he can see and he can hear because he's listening. That is a glorious thing. In John 12, verses 30 through 33, Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now you will, will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So I just want to show you three things that Jesus, Jesus says. Like this voice, this moment is here for three purposes I want to tell you. It's not for my sake. I know what's going on. It's for your sake. And I'm going to spell them out for you. The first is the glorification of the Son is time for the judgment of the world. The Father is going to glorify me because it is time for the world to be judged now. And it's, it's very emphasis, like now, right now is the time. Brothers and sisters, we are at the end times. And don't think, oh, he's going to make all these prophecies like Russia's invading Ukraine. That's you, that's point. No, no, no. We've been at the end times since this moment in Scripture. Jesus says now is the time for judgment. Now the world is coming to an end. It's been for 2,000 years since the king and his kingdom has been breaking in and defeating the dominion of sin and Satan. And here's the thing. It's conquered. It is conquered. We're just living it out. Now, this is the beginning of the end. The cross is the beginning of the judgment, which will be fully realized at the final judgment when Jesus comes again. The cross is the scales of justice. This is the place where all people are judged. We are judged at the cross and the thing is, Jesus takes on our judgment. He takes on our sin. He takes on our brokenness. And we are judged. He is judged in our place. And he's given us our righteousness. So when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And when he sees Jesus on the cross, he sees our unrighteousness. The judgment is, do you trust in me? Or do you not trust in me? Because if you do not trust in me, your judgment won't happen at the cross. It's going to happen at the end of days when all of your light is connected directly to you and not Jesus. And God is always just. God is always just. So I just want you to think about uh, justice and mercy in this way that they're always tied together. They're not separated. You think about injustices in this world. When justice happens to someone who is oppressing or cruel, that justice is a mercy to the ones who are oppressed. Do you, do you follow along? Right. So it, when, we, when we catch the murderer or the person who is abusing someone and there's justice upon, that's a mercy to the one who was being oppressed. They're always connected. They're not separate things. It's not like one moment God is just and one moment he's merciful. They're all innately who his character is. The irony in this moment is the world thinks it's passing judgment on Jesus at the cross. But Jesus is passing judgment on the world. The second thing, the glorification of the Son, uh, of the Son is time for the judgment of the world. And the glorification of the Son is so that the prince of the world will be driven out. It's the judgment for Satan at the cross. The ruler of this world, Satan, just like all of us in all occasions, will be judged by the cross. He rejects it and he is judged. Satan, it says clearly, has been dethroned at the cross. He's been limited. He has been bound. He still has power in this world, but it is limited 
in this world and world. The dominion of sin is slowly decreasing in this world. I know it's hard to see that when you look at the world and when you look at your own life, but I guarantee the kingdom of God is breaking in more and more and will be fully realized when Jesus comes and it will be all washed away. The judgment is secure at the cross. Satan has been judged. The dominion of sin faded away. Revelation 12, 11. And they have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, that's the cross, and by the word of their testimony. That's a different st- sermon for a different time, but isn't that interesting? By the blood of the cross and by the testimony, the word. For they love not their lives even unto death. In Revelation twenty twenty, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So two things, right? The glorification of the Son is time for the judgment. It's also time for the judgment of Satan. He's dethroned. And, God, and the third thing is God's glory draws all kinds of people to himself. This, this, this all people, this, this really means all kinds of people, all kinds of different people, people you weren't expecting are drawn to him. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for they're all one in Christ. It is not just ethnic Israel anymore. It's not just the people that you expect. And, and the Gospel of John has been hitting that, hinting at this hard. There are other flock. There's another flock. There are other people that you think, and it's opened up. I think I want you to understand at this moment, what's, what triggers the hour for Jesus? That he knows the hour has come. It's when the Greeks, the non-Gentiles, seek him out publicly. And then he doesn't meet with them because they want to meet with him. He's like, now, the hour has come now when the, when the whole world symbolically starts to come to me because that's what the cross is. All different kinds of people. The grace of God is opened up to all his people. And they all look different and are probably not the people you expect. What a great lesson for us to learn over and over. The dawning of the age is when the Greeks and the Gentiles and the whole world seeks after Jesus. The cross and Jesus' glorification is judgment and revealing of God's people so that all God's people can be united in Christ. It's when I talked about, hey, well, we seek to be a church uh, diverse. We seek to be a church diverse because this is what the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us what the kingdom of God is. And it's not just people that look or think like you. It's bigger. It's bigger than that. The Father glorifies the Son so the Son can glorify His people in Him. John 6, 44, this important word, draw. No one can come to, the, come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father sent me, draws him. The cross draws. God draws people to him. In Romans 8, 30, where the end game is that we actually are glorified. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom justified, he also glorified. Why are we glorified? Because we are united in Jesus. How, how will we realize that glory? We're going to realize that the Holy Spirit is beginning to change us in and out throughout our lifetime into his character. It's, I want you to be very clear here is that the righteousness that's imputed to us at the cross is not our righteousness is changed. That's not what happens. It's Christ's righteousness is given to us. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that our righteousness begins to be changed. 
our character begins to be changed. That's the difference. Let me, let me summarize this passage quickly in a different way and so we get the main points that I'm trying to get. Number one, the gospel is God glorifies his name. God glorifies. We don't glorify God's name. He glorifies himself. In fact, uh, we, we are often are the anti-gospel. Another way we could say it, oftentimes we are the anti-Christ. The anti-Christ in scripture is one that preaches a false gospel. You and I often preach a false gospel because we seek the glory and not wanting to glorify the Father or having the Father glorify himself in us. And so that, that uh, anti-gospel is, is spiritual blindness. We are involved in glorify. It's either we ask God to glorify his name or we are involved in glorifying God's name, but this doesn't make sense because we are unholy people and we can't glorify his name. The, the means of God's glory. So that's the first thing. God's name God glorifies himself. The means of God's glory is upside down gospel in this world. Because we live in an upside down dominion of sin, we think it's our job to protect and guard the king. But the, but the, the means of glory is the cross. And so the cross is the king lays down his life for his people. This is how the kingdom of God works. We don't protect the king. He needs no protection. We are the ones that need protection from the king. God's glory is that the king lays down his life for his people. This is the way of the cross. This is the gospel. And the third thing, right? So the, the for, first thing was God glorifies his name. The means of God's way is the cross. The upside down way where the king lays down his life for his people. And the third thing is God's glory is for us. God's glory is for us. It's not for himself. God doesn't like, I need to glorify himself. The reason God glorifies himself is so he can share his glory with his people. Jesus is very clear in the gospel. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to take the judgment for his people so that we might be glorified in him, so that he can share his glory with us not because we deserve it because in us and through us the work of god in us he ushers in his kingdom for us he defeats satan the dominion of sin for us he issues out his justice and mercy for us he glorifies us for us did you get it the father glorifies his name he does this by the means of the cross and his glory is for us. And then end it with verse 20, 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. I just want to be clear, brothers and sisters, we have the light of God with us right now. We have the light of God because the Holy Spirit, who is one with Jesus, who is one with the Father, is with us now. We are to walk in that light. Here's the thing. That walk in the light, it's an idiom. It's an idiom to mean walk ethically, be moral. Or the way the scriptures talk about what is your morality, be in God's character. Be like God. 
we are right now, because we have the Holy Spirit, we are to walk in the light, to walk in his character. And God's character is the gospel. It is the way of the cross. We are to walk in the way of the cross in the world. We are to walk as promise keepers, sacrificially loving others. We are to walk by asking God to glorify his name so we actually can hear and see the needs of the people around us. When the darkness come, it will not overtake us or master us because we have a different king and we have a different master. And our master and our king lays down his life for us so that we might be glorified in him and with him. Brothers and sisters, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us walk in his character. Let us walk in the glory of the cross, his way, the glory of that love that is willing to sacrifice itself for the benefit and the need of others. May the Father's glory May it be glorified in your life. May it be glorified this day in your life. May it be glorified in the church so that others may see his glory that's for us, in us, and through us that's for them as well. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you glorify your name. Glorify your name right here, right now, as it is in heaven. Help us to be people that glorify your name with our words and with our actions. Lord, continue to transform us to your image by the power of your spirit. Help us to walk in your way, to walk in this light, to walk in your character, day in and day out in the midst of whatever circumstance we're in, Lord. We know that you are present. We know that all our sins have been judged at the cross. Help us to give, us, give you thanks for that moment, day in and day out, and for the work that you're doing. And help us to see, see in every circumstance, at every moment, how you're glorifying. Give us the, the eyes and the ears to see because we're listening and we're not talking about ourselves. Praise be to God. We love you, Lord. Help us with our love. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. amen.